Welcome to First Baptist Church this morning. We're so glad you're here with us today. Uh, we want to just extend a special welcome to those of you visiting with us. And if you received a bulletin this morning with one of our connection cards inside, we would invite you to take that and complete it for us. Put a prayer request on the back if you'd like to. And then just turn it into one of us or place it in the offering plate on your hand it to one of us on your way out this morning. We'd love to get that record of your visit or your prayer request this morning. It's always a joy to begin a worship service on the Lord's Day uh, when we are able to observe uh, the believer's baptism. And so this morning, uh, I just want to take a moment to explain what, what baptism is and what it's not. And first of all, when someone's coming to be baptized, what they're saying is, is that they admit that they've sinned against God. So when they're standing in these baptismal waters, they're saying, I agree that I've sinned against God. And what I deserve is judgment. I deserve to, to die for my sins. But, by God's grace, I'm trusting in what Jesus has done. And I'm trusting in what He's done alone to save me. He's done that in my heart already. You see, baptism doesn't wash away our sins. Some people believe it does, but that's false. Baptism is an expression of our sins having already been washed away by the blood of Jesus. I mean, if baptism would wash away your sins and we ought to just baptize everybody as soon as we can get a hold of them, whether they want to be or not, just, just put them right in the water, right? But baptism not going to do it. It's all the grace of God through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ that washes away your sin. And baptism is coming and saying publicly what's already happened inwardly. It's saying I've sinned against God, but by grace through faith in Jesus, I'm now united with Christ. And, in, and we baptize by immersion because we believe that's what the Bible teaches. And it also best pictures what's happened to us. Because in baptism, what we're saying is, I've died with Jesus on the cross. The old me is dead. Not only is the old me dead, the old me is buried. And so when some goes, someone goes under the water, it's a picture of how Jesus was buried. And when they come up out of the water, it's a picture of the resurrection of Christ. So that person is saying, the old me died with Christ, is buried with Christ, and is raised up with Christ. I'm a new person through faith in Jesus Christ. And this morning, Cheryl Lizone has come, and she wants to express that publicly this morning. This is Cheryl Lizone. And Sherry has been coming to our church for a couple of years now at least. She's been gotten involved in a couple of small groups and Bible study. About a, about a year ago, uh, Sherry wanted to talk about baptism. And, and uh, then she had surgery right after that. It was right about this time of year I was getting over to Bosnia too. And the recovery took a lot longer than expected. And so uh, we've been talking since then. And, and even recently, uh, Sherry approached me and saying, you know, I'm ready now. I'm ready to, to follow the Lord in baptism. And we're so thankful for that. And so, Sherry, I'm going to ask you a couple of questions so people can hear from your own lips what you've already professed to the Lord and you've, you've shared with me and others as well. Sherry, do you believe that you're a sinner? Yes. you believe you've sinned against God and deserve His judgment for your sin? Yes. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is God's Son that died on the cross for your sins and rose again three days later? Yes. Sherry, do you believe in Jesus so much that you want to turn from your, your sinful life and you want to follow Jesus and let Him be Lord of your life? Yes. Amen. Definitely. <laughs> All right. You turn like this right here. Okay. Place your arms up. Okay. Sherry, I baptize you, my sister, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. <laughs> All God's people say amen. Amen. All right. 
Praise the Lord. You know, there's plenty of water up here, but more importantly, there's room at the cross for you. So if you've never trusted in the finished work of Jesus Christ, the first thing you need to do is go to Him, call out to Him, admit that you've sinned against God, place your faith and trust in Jesus. Share that with myself, one of us who are believers, and we would love to talk with you more about how God's at work in your life. Right now, as you're being seated, uh, as you're being seated this morning, we want to ask our graduates that we're recognizing this morning, if you would come forward at this time, I'm going to ask your parents or your grandparents if they're with you, or both, since parents and grandparents, if they would come with you right now. Parents, grandparents, and our 2019 graduates, come on up forward this morning. Uh, we had five high school graduates that we're aware of, and so if there's somebody here that we never got word from, then we, we apologize for that. Uh, but we'd ask you all to come on up here with me. Thank you. All right. Uh, so I think everybody's here except Ashton, so I wanna, we want to give you all a Bible this morning, and this is an ESV study Bible, and some of you may already have. If you do, then you got another one, all right? Uh, but uh, more than anything, you need the Word of God, and this has got some really solid study notes that when you have questions that come along and things in, uh, about theology or about even things that apply immediately to your life, then this is a really good resource as well with the study notes in it. But uh, more than anything, you need, to, you need the Word of God, and you need to be sure you're spending time in the Word of God and to be sure you're living out the Word of God. And that's our prayer for you. I know it's a prayer of your family as well. So, Jackson, uh, we want to give this to you. It's a Jackson Newkirk. Now, you graduated from what, Edwards County High School? All right. What's your plans coming up? Uh, college. College? Early childhood. Early childhood. All right. Well, we'll definitely be praying for you about that. All right. Wade. <laughs> Wade here graduated from Mount Carmel High School. I know you got a scholarship. Where else was the scholarship at? Lincoln Trail. Lincoln Trail playing golf, right? What you know what you're going to major in yet? Sports management. Sports management. All right. Well, Wade, we're proud of you, buddy. All right. We get a couple more. All right. Blake Kite here. Been playing the guitar force for a while and spent a lot of his time here, buddy. You got a scholarship as well. Where are you headed to? Uh, Missouri Baptist. Playing football at Missouri Baptist University, you know what you're going to major in? Uh, business marketing. Business marketing, all right. Well, praise the Lord. And this is Miss Anna Fowler. She's a graduate of Fowler Christian Academy, is that right? <laughs> now, what, now, you've already started some of your college work already is what I've heard, okay? You're going to have your associate's degree done about the end of next year is what I heard last night. So, all right. Well, what are you majoring in? Tell us a little bit about it. Business administration. All right. Praise the Lord. <laughs> All right. Last thing we're going to do to, we've embarrassed you guys plenty, but we're going to do this. I'm going to ask you in just a moment. We're going to get down here on the platform and stand together, and uh, we're going to have a time of prayer. I'm going to ask Marcia to play as we're praying. And any of you like to can come up with one of these families and just surround them, put your hands on their shoulders if you want to around these graduates. And I just wanted you to pray for them this morning. Let's just, you know, a lot of these guys have grown up in our church and you've, you've taught them in Sunday school. Some of them, you may have changed your diapers. I don't know. But so, uh, so you've invested in their lives very much. So, and so I'd like for you to just come and come and pray for them this morning. So you guys come on down, join me down here. And, uh, and we just want to pray for you for a few moments. Y'all join us. Okay. Come on up here and let's pray. You ever have doubts? You ever have doubts if what you believe about Christ is true or if God even exists? Or do you have doubts? Maybe you don't doubt 
the existence of God or the existence of Christ or the truth of the gospel maybe, but do you doubt God's goodness at times? I ask that question because of the passage of scripture we're looking at this morning in Matthew chapter 11. I imagine as uh, you're turning in your Bible to Matthew chapter 11 that whether it's graduating from high school and going into college or, or starting a career or whatever it might be, there's different situations and circumstances in our lives where there may be doubts that cross our minds about some things that we've held true. And it may bother us and disturb us that we could even have those doubts. And hopefully, and I believe so for those that are believers, those are fleeting doubts. And I've even compelled to think that God uses those times of Doubts which may even lead to despair actually to grow us in our faith and make us stronger Christians at the same time. I imagine there's many testimonies like that. But when we look in Matthew chapter 11, what we find is somebody, in fact, Jesus said John the Baptist was the greatest man ever born. And yet, John the Baptist had great doubts, it seems, in Matthew chapter 11. So I want to ask us to stand this morning in the honor of the reading of God's word. Turn to Matthew chapter 11. If you haven't already, there should be a Bible underneath the chair you're sitting in or close to you. Matthew chapter 11, I'm going to read this chapter. When Jesus had finished instructing his disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent words by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one is to come or shall we look for another? And Jesus answers them, go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear and the dead are raised up. And the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Verse 7, as they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did, what did you go out to see in the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man's dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. Verse 9. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I will tell you, and more than a prophet, this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has, been, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist, Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence. And the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, verse 14. And if you're willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. But what shall I compare this generation? It's like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to their playmates. We played the flute for you. And you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking and they say he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking and they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by our deeds. Then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Verse 21. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, be more tolerable, it'd be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You'll be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would remain until this day. But I tell you that it'd be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. Verse 25, at that time Jesus declared, 
I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you've hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the, the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Verse 28. Come to me, all who labor and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you again that we could assemble in this place to worship you. Thank you for Sunday school classes this morning and songs that were sung and of the gospel and the baptism of Sherry Lazon that's taking place and the recognition of these graduates and good things that we've announced that are taking place in our church family to extend your kingdom. And offerings being collected this morning to use to extend your kingdom. And now, Father, may you continue to do so. May you glorify yourself as we hear your word preached. May we exult in the truth that's here. Guard us from error. Lead us in the right way. Help us to know Jesus better and make us more like him. Convict the lost of their sin. Bring them to yourself. Help us, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You can be seated. A while back, one of my kids asked me, Dad, is it okay? You ever have doubts? Is it ever okay to, is it, is it okay to have doubts? They were bothered that they had some doubts about God. And I said, son, well, you wouldn't want to continue to every day, every day, every day have those kind of doubts. That would be very concerning. But yeah, fleeting doubts come at times. I said, son, I'm your dad. And there's fleeting doubts that have come into my mind at times. Sometimes because it's come, I'm in a low place or things aren't going well and maybe a fleeting doubt comes. But sons, then I'll look out the window right there and I'll see, I'll see the sky that God's made and the trees that he's made. I'll think about my heart beating and the fact that we've got to have gravity to hold us down on this earth and no other planet does and all the things that the Lord's done. And I think, but a fool has said in his heart, there is no God. But certainly it may bring some somewhat consolation to us to also know that John the Baptist was one who had some doubts when he was going through some difficult times. John had an amazing testimony is why we say that because it may console us because of his testimony about who Jesus was. You see, before John was ever born, when he was in his mama's womb, Elizabeth walked up to Mary who was expecting Jesus and John the Baptist leaped inside the womb of Elizabeth, his mother. His father, a few months later when he was born, his father wasn't able to say anything for nine months because he believed God's promise that, that his, him in his old age, Zechariah and Elizabeth in old age, could have a baby. But when John the Baptist was born, he said his name will be John, and he opened up his lips, and he began to praise God that what the prophets had prophesied was coming true. And it wasn't just about John the Baptist being born, but it was about the one John the Baptist was going to prepare the way for, the Messiah, the Christ, the promised king. John the Baptist, no doubt, had heard about this from his mom and dad, who were both, by the way, filled with the Spirit at those particular points in their life. 
Later, John the Baptist, who had heard these stories from his parents, he'd read about the prophets, he knew about the calling upon his life. He saw Jesus walking to him one day out in the wilderness when he was baptizing, and he said, behold, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world, it's him. And then he said, if you turn with me in Matthew chapter three, you can see it yourself if you turn over to Matthew chapter three. Matthew chapter three, verse 14, Jesus comes whom he's just said of Jesus, this is the Lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world. He'd said earlier, I'm not even worthy to untie his shoes, the one that's coming, and now he's here. And now he's wanting me to baptize him. So he says in verse 14 of Matthew chapter three, John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? You hear his testimony? You see his testimony about the Christ, about Jesus? Later, we read in this same passage that he sees the heavens opened up. He sees the heavens opening. He, he sees the spirit descending like a dove and he hears the father speaking from heaven. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. But now, back in John chapter 11, verse three, we hear these words from John the Baptist. He's in jail. He's in Herod's dungeon for having spoken out about Herod's adulterous relationship. And now in this dungeon, he says in verse three of Hebrews chapter 11, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? My, my, what a contrast from his testimony now to this time. Are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? Why is it that John said that? Was he not a true believer? And I think that's maybe one of the questions that come to our mind when we see this passage of scripture, but I don't think that's the case. I think what is the case, if you look back in Matthew chapter three, is what he understood about the ministry of the Messiah in its fullness was not taking place. And so he was, he was having doubts because what he had preached was not matching up with what he was seeing. Matthew chapter three says this, if you look back at it in chapter three, verse 12, or excuse me, verse seven. Oh, John the Baptist is out there pointing his bony finger at the Pharisees and Sadducees, and he said in Matthew chapter three, verse seven, when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come into his baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the ax is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Judgment is coming, he says, for those that don't bear fruit, that those that call themselves children of God, Jews who have Jewish blood going through their veins and think that makes them children of Abraham, he said, you got another thing coming. Judgment is coming when the Christ comes. Then he says in verse 11, I baptize you with water for repentance, but one is who coming mightier, one is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, listen. And he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat. <laughs> if you're wheat, that's a good thing. He'll gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So his message is repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. When the Christ comes, if you don't bear fruit and keep it with repentance, you'll be judged and the king will be here. And now John in chapter 11 is in prison 
And there's one not bearing fruit in keeping with repentance has got him there and his name's Herod. The Romans are still occupying the land. And John's in jail. And what he understood that the prophets had prophesied and he preached himself was when the Christ comes, all that stuff is done. And there'll be judgment upon the wicked like Herod and upon the Romans and upon Jews who think they're children of God just because they have Jewish blood and don't have love for God. You see, his experience right now is not lining up with his expectations about who the Christ is, who the Messiah is. Doubt and despair, it's similar with us. Doubt and despair occur when our experience doesn't match our expectations. When our experience doesn't match our expectations, we are prone to experience doubt and accompanying despair. Think about Matthew's audience, whom he's writing to, primarily a Jewish audience because of all the notations about fulfillment in the book of Matthew and all the quotes from the Old Testament and the time in which they're living. No doubt they had some doubts about things. They're, they're not seeing that the Christ has come and got rid of the Romans and they're still experiencing some of the same things they've been going through, even though they've seen him do great miracles. We think about our own experiences on this side of the cross when Christ has died and when he has risen again and he's promised to come again. And we're saying to ourselves, how long, O oh Lord, how long? Like the psalmist says. We didn't think we'd have to pray like the psalmist anymore. But how long, O oh Lord? How long am I have to keep going through this in my marriage or going through this in my family or going through this at work or experiencing this in my body? How long, O oh Lord? In the book Pilgrim's Progress that we've been going through with the children on Wednesdays, there's an experience that the main character of Pilgrim's Progress went through. His name was Christian. And he had another friend named Hopeful that he had met along the way. They were believers on their way to the celestial city, to heaven. And along the way, they came across a path. They were on the narrow way, but they came across a path that looked a little easier walking. And it was called Bypath Meadow. And Christian thought, the walking's there easier. This walking's getting hard on the narrow way. Let's get on the bypass. And they got on the bypass, and as they went along later on, they rested somewhere and fell asleep, and they found themselves resting on the grounds of giant despair, a giant whose name was Despair. And when he woke him up, he said, what are you doing here on my grounds? And so he took them to his home called Doubting Castle. And there, him and his wife, diffidence, commenced to beat the tar out of them all the time. She said, honey, just go, just go beat the, you know what tar is? All right. It's not a good thing, get tar beat out of you. She said, honey, go in the morning and just beat the tar out of them. That's my paraphrase of Pilgrim's Progress. So they beat the tar out of them. Before long, he said, why don't y'all just try to kill yourself? Just, just commit suicide rather than just stay in this place. And it went on and on and on for several days from Wednesday to Saturday. And finally at midnight, the next day the giant had promised to kill them if they were still alive. Christian suddenly remembered something. A little before dawn, good Christian 
as one half amazed broke out into his passionate exclamation, what a fool I've been to lie in a stinking dudgeon like this when I could just as well have walked free. I have a key in my pocket next to my heart called promise that will, I'm sure, open any lock in Doubting Castle. We were laughing about this in our men's study as we've been going through it on Mondays. One commented, perhaps hopeful, said, you mean you had a key in your pocket all along and didn't tell me? We didn't go through this whole time? Well, if you're a Christian, you would have had one too. You've been a Christian longer than I have. But they didn't have that argument. That's imposed. But what the main point is to see here is what's depicted by John Bunyan, the author of Pilgrim's Progress, is they remembered this key, this key of promise, which represents the promises of the word of God. And what I, the main point I'm gonna get through to you this morning, that I hope we'll get through to you this morning, the main point of the passage of scripture really as Jesus answers John the Baptist's question is that the key to escape doubt and despair is to trust the promises of God, to trust the promises God has made about Jesus. The key to unlock any room in Doubting Castle is to remember to, remember and submit to and trust the promises God has made about Jesus. And so now, in Matthew chapter 11, that's what we wanna see. The promises God has made about Jesus Christ. Three of three things to look at. Number one, Jesus is the king promised by God through the prophets. Jesus is the king promised by God through the prophets. John says to Jesus, or he says to his disciples, go, to, go ask Jesus, is he the one or do we look for another? And look in your Bible in verse four and notice how Jesus answered the disciples of John the Baptist when they came to him. Jesus answered them, verse four, go and tell John what you see and hear. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up and the poor have good news preached to them. And those words are coming out of the Old Testament prophets. In the book of Isaiah, you see that precise type of language being used of the, of the king, so the prophets like Isaiah and other prophets spoke about the coming Messiah, the promised king in this way, the Christ, that he would do these things. So he says, John the Baptist, think about what the Bible says. And let me remind you this morning, remember what the Bible says. Don't take home that ESV study Bible graduate and set it on the shelf and never look at it. Folks, don't go home, put your Bible on the bookshelf and bring it Sunday morning so everybody think you're spiritual or set it on your dashboard so you think it's a good luck charm when you're driving down the road. Read the Bible. Know the scripture. Be under the study of the word of God. Immerse yourself in it. Hide it in your heart that you may not sin against God. And so, he says, Tell him what the prophets have said and that what I'm doing matches up with what they've said. And here's a warning in verse six. Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Blessed is the one who doesn't look at my ministry of miracles and so forth accompanied with the preaching of the gospel, which is key, and think about, oh, but the Romans are still here. I'm going through this and therefore they're offended by that and they fall away really is what it's talking about. They don't wanna follow Jesus. Blessed is the one who doesn't come to that conclusion. Blessed is the one who comes to the conclusion, this is the Christ. We've never seen anything like this. We've never heard anything like this. I'm gonna follow him. Jesus is a promised king 
He's the promised king by God through the prophets. Then he says to the crowds, he says to John the Baptist, do you realize or do you remember what the prophets said? And he turns to the crowds in verse six and essentially what he's saying to the crowds is this, do you realize how great a prophet John the Baptist was? He doesn't ridicule John the Baptist, he actually esteems John the Baptist and his place in redemptive history is the main point. He, so he says, he's saying to the crowds, beginning with verse six, do you realize how great John the Baptist was? Three times in these verses, beginning with verse six, he says, what did you go out to see? What did you go out to see? What did you go out to see? Did you go out to see somebody who was dressed in fancy clothes? No, that's for somebody that's in a castle like old Herod. Did you go out to see somebody in the wilderness, a, a reed shaken by the wind? In other words, did you expect to go out and see John the Baptist in the wilderness, somebody that was just wishy-washy? He'd tell you what you want to hear. Well, if you were listening to Matthew chapter three a while ago, you know he wouldn't tell you what you want to hear. You brood of vipers, repent, he said. What did you go out to see, a prophet? More than a prophet, Jesus says. And that's key. More than a prophet, verse nine. And look at verse 10. This is he of whom it is written, behold, I send my messenger before your face who prepare your way before you. And if you look down in verse 14, he says, if you're willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He's the one prophesied about to fulfill the prophecy from Malachi chapter three, verse one, of a prophet coming like Elijah to prepare the way of the Messiah. Jesus is saying, this was John the Baptist. And so he says of John the Baptist in verse 11, look at it. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Now hold that thought. He says of John the Baptist, even though John the Baptist is going through some hard times and asking the questions that he's asking, he said, nobody's been born greater than John the Baptist. Now what does he mean by that? Jesus is saying, if you, look, if you think about verse 10 and how John the Baptist is like Elijah, he's the prophesied one who will come and prepare the way, there are a whole bunch of prophets who prophesied about Jesus coming. But John the Baptist is the last one. He's the last one in that of the Old Testament prophets who will prophesy. And he will prophesy more clearly about Jesus than any of them. And it's certainly more nearly. Because when he prophesies, when he preaches, Jesus comes. He even baptizes Jesus. So Jesus is saying in the course of redemptive history, in revealing the Messiah and God's plan, there's not been a greater prophet than John the Baptist that's come. He's the greatest prophet. Verse 13, you see it a little bit more clearly. For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John. They all prophesied until John. But John the Baptist is kind of the culmination of this gracious revelation to his people. Speaking clearly in the immediacy of Christ's coming. So we look back at verse 11 and we see the rest of it, which is puzzling to us, isn't it? Look at your Bible in verse 11. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Isn't that puzzling? He's the greatest person ever been born, yet anybody that's least in the kingdom of God is greater than he is. Does it mean that John the Baptist is not in the kingdom of God? 
It doesn't mean that when we think about his testimony, of course, his leaping from his mother's womb and things like that give us some evidence of it, certainly what he said about Christ and, and, and so forth. It seems to me, and I'm not the only one, that what we're seeing here in context is that John was the greatest prophet, but we who have come into the kingdom of God now that Christ has come, Christ has died, he's risen again, that now that Christ has come, we speak more clearly than John the Baptist did. John the Baptist spoke more clearly than anybody else, the greatest prophet up to that time. But those who come into the kingdom of God through the cross of Christ, now, that, now, now after that Christ has come, he goes to the cross, he rises again, they speak more clearly than John the Baptist because they can say things John the Baptist could not say clearly. They, they could not say unambiguously. John was the greatest prophet, but we speak more clearly than he did. And so I want to say to you graduates this morning, I want to say to all of us as believers, when you think about being great at what you're going to do, what degree you're going to pursue, or whatever path, career path you might pursue, your greatness is your witness if you're a believer. Your greatness is your witness. You, no matter where you land up, no matter what occupation you have, no matter where you live, you're to be on mission for Christ and your greatest, your, your greatness is your witness of the Lord Jesus Christ. But if you're a child of the king, you need to expect the opposition you're experiencing because we're thinking about here we're in Doubting Castle. We experience times of doubt. We experience times of despair. The key to escape is to remember the promises of God and how they're filled in Jesus Christ. He's the promised king through the prophets. You need to remember that he is the king. And if you're a child of the king, you need to expect the opposition that you're experiencing. Look at verse 12. Verse 12. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered what? What's your Bible say? It's suffered violence. And the violent take it by force. What I understand that to mean is since that Jesus has come, the prophets have prophesied until John now that Jesus has come and he's preaching and he's doing his ministry is that the kingdom of God that's being preached and is being ushered in with Jesus' arrival is suffering violence, is suffering opposition. And what you're beginning to see in Matthew chapter 11 and following is increasing opposition against Christ. Oh, everything starts out fun in Jesus' ministry, so to speak, when he's doing miracles and he's got a crowd and he's feeding people and from, with manna from heaven and so forth, you know, 5,000 people fed. But when he starts saying the hard things about himself and he's saying these things, but they still see the Romans, they st still, they're still suffering some of the things they're suffering, they begin to become offended like he said in verse five. Or verse six. And for those that are truly going to follow Christ, they're going to experience this violence against the kingdom, this opposition, as you seek to speak more clearly of Christ. Not only that, you'll be criticized if you look in verse 16. Look at your Bible in verse 16. Notice the criticism of both Jesus and John the Baptist. Jesus says, but watch, I compare this generation. It's like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling their playmates. We played a flute for you and did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. Did not, did not. You didn't do this. You didn't do this. John the Baptist and Jesus were not fulfilling the expectations of the people. Oh, for a while they were, Jesus and John the Baptist were popular in their sight. 
It was kind of the next best gig to go see. But look at verse 18. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. So they think John's demon-possessed, and they think Jesus is some liberal person that doesn't care anything about the law at all or about holiness. Yet wisdom is justified by our deeds. You can expect opposition. You can expect criticism if you're going to proclaim the name of Jesus. But wisdom is justified by our deeds. You need to keep living a wise life. That's what I'd say to all of us. Keep living a life that lines up with the word of God. Jesus is the king promised by God through the prophets. So as we're going through doubt and despair, if we have ears to hear, like verse 15 says, don't go looking for another. You found him. Now, I'm a Kansas City Chiefs fan, and I was talking to Cheryl, his own sister this morning, who's from St. Louis, but shared with me her passion for the Chiefs. And, you know, I was telling somebody yesterday, the Chiefs got beat by Tom Brady in the playoffs, but guess what? He's going to retire soon, and we got Mahomes. If you know anything about football, right? We got Mahomes, Patrick Mahomes. Our time's coming. Now, in a much greater way, what we need to understand, which is much more important than football, a lot more, is we've got Christ, and our day is coming. And that's what's being said here. The Romans are still occupying. We're still suffering. John's still in jail. But we have Christ. We don't need to look for another. He needs no replacement. Our day is coming. Jesus is the king promised by God through the prophets, through the Bible. It's the reason you need to be grounded in the Bible. And thank your parents and thank your grandparents, your Sunday school teachers and those that taught you the Bible. Secondly, Jesus is the mighty and holy judge. He's the mighty and holy judge. Essentially what John's gonna say or what Jesus is gonna say beginning with verse 20 through, I believe it's verse 24, is this, remember John the Baptist, Herod's still in power, I'm still in jail, Roman's still here. I, when I preached, I said, when you come, Jesus, when the Messiah comes, you're gonna, you're gonna wipe them out. Judgment's gonna come, right? And it's not. What I'm expecting is not matching what we're experiencing. The second point here again is Jesus is the mighty and holy judge. And what Jesus is going to say here to the crowds, to John and the rest and the crowds as well, is you can be assured that judgment is coming. Now, how should that make us happy? If you've been justified by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, then that should bring you much joy that judgment is coming, that vindication is coming, that judgment day is coming, that Jesus is coming again. You can be assured of it. And what he begins to say, beginning with verse 20, is that all these places where he's went and he's done these mighty deeds, three times in those verses you're gonna see the phrase, mighty deeds, mighty deeds, mighty deeds. You can be assured that his judgment will be fierce for those that ignore what he has done. Look with me in your Bible and notice it. First of all, he began to announce the cities, look at verse 20, where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorus, and woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. 
Says the same sort of thing in verse 23. In you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades for the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom. It remained until this day. Jesus says, I've come to your cities. I've preached in your cities. I've done these mighty deeds. And yet you say, that's not enough. You've not matched our expectations. And we don't think you're the Christ. And we're not going to repent. We're going to look for another. And Jesus says, woe to you. For if the things that you've seen and heard were done in other places, they would have repented long ago. Your hearts are so sinful, your hearts are so hard, and you've had so much gracious revelation given to you, and yet you remain in your sin. And you say, oh, Pastor Steve, oh, preacher, if I could see those mighty works of Jesus, if I could see him heal somebody, I'd believe. They didn't believe. Now, I'm here to tell you, you can look outside just like I was telling my son when he said he was something about doubts that day. You can see mighty deeds, mighty works in creation that he's done. You can look into the face of your child and see his mighty works. But more than anything, the mighty works of God are eclipsed and culminated in the preaching of the gospel. For the gospel is the power of God. Nothing else that God has done is called the power of God. Not his creation of the stars, not his creation of a human being. But the gospel is the power of God. And you right now, in Sherry's baptism this morning, you heard it. You heard it in Sunday school. We sang it. Come behold the wondrous mystery and you're hearing it preached now, the most mighty work of God you could ever experience is now, and will you yet remain in your sin? Will you yet remain in your religious comfort zone, checking off the boxes, playing the games? Or will you repent and follow Christ? Don't go looking for another and don't be a spiritual adulterer saying, yeah, I got Christ, but you got a hand in the world too on Monday through Saturday. Not reading your Bible, coming to church every once in a while when you think about it, thinking you're doing God a favor. They, gave, they brought sacrifices to God in the Old Testament. He said, get them out of my face. You say, what? God required those sacrifices. He said, get them out of my face. Read your hearts and not your garments. I want you I don't want your religion, your religious practice. I want you. Jesus is mighty. And his judgment will be fierce because there is no one on the face of this earth who has not witnessed his mighty works in some way, whether that's general revelation of creation or whether that's those of us sitting in this room who have heard and witnessed his revelation in Jesus Christ. Jesus is mighty. His judgment will be fierce. And Jesus is holy, so his judgment will be fair. Man, I know some wicked judges, don't you? Or I've heard about some wicked judgments in our world. I think of the O.J. Simpson trial and things like that. Jesus' judgment, he's holy. His judgment will be fair. Notice what it says in verse 22. 
He says, but I tell you, it'll be more tolerable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. He says the same sort of thing in verse 24. Look at verse 24, but I tell you, it'll be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. More tolerable. What's that tell us about the day of judgment? That on the day of judgment, there will be some, all will be judged who reject Christ. Understand that. And all will go to hell. But it'll be more tolerable for some than others. There are gonna be some sort of degree, and I don't claim to understand all this, but I'm looking at what the Bible says, some sort of degree of punishment seems to be the case here. More tolerable for some than others. It's not gonna be good for anybody that doesn't know Christ. His judgment will be fierce. His judgment will be fair. And I'm here to tell you, there's people we're getting ready to go talk to in Bosnia here in just a few weeks who've never heard the gospel and yet you have right now you are hearing the gospel if they if they perish and you perish in your sins without Christ it'll be more tolerable for them than it will be for you it'll still be bad for both but I, that's what I see here in the passage of scripture brothers and sisters or non-brothers and sisters maybe I should say to some I cannot and would not and wish not to try to frighten anyone into making a profession of faith because you cannot be frightened into it. Because if you look at what the next passage of Scripture says, it has to be the Father in heaven who reveals it to you. So I'm sweating and preaching and trying to with all my heart, but no matter what I say or how loud I get, I can't make it happen. I mean, you might, you might say, okay, yeah, I want to be baptized. I want to get saved because you're scared to death. But God's got to do a work in your heart or nothing happens. So two portraits of Jesus that we've seen is he's the king promised by God through the prophets. He's the mighty and holy judge. And thirdly and finally, Jesus is the sovereign and gracious son. He's the sovereign and gracious son. You see, Jesus, Jesus has an exclusive. You know what exclusive means, right? Nobody else. Jesus has an exclusive relationship with the father. Notice what it says in this passage of scripture. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you've hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. Look at verse 27. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone whom the Son chooses to reveal him. You see, Jesus, in those latter verses I just read, did you see that? I don't want you to miss it. In verse 27, second part, no one knows the Son except the Father and no one knows the Father except the Son. You see that? Jesus has this exclusive relationship with the Father. He's claiming something for himself. Don't let the liberal Bible scholar say that, well, Jesus never claimed divinity or deity for himself. Hogwash! Jesus says, I have an exclusive relationship with the Father. Nobody knows him like I do. He says to Thomas later on, he said, or whoever it was, Captain Philip, he says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Right? Jesus has an exclusive relationship with the Father, and Jesus has an exclusive authority to reveal the Father. Notice what he said back in verse 20. 
five, or no, look at, that's not what I'm looking at. Look at verse 27, the end of it, the last part of verse 27. No one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Look at the first part of verse 27. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. So there's an authority that he has from the Father and that authority is to reveal who the Father is. He has an exclusive relationship with the Father. He has an exclusive authority from the Father to reveal the Father. Folks, that means we need Jesus. He is the sovereign Son. And because of that, Jesus sovereignly chooses in his grace, Jesus sovereignly chooses to reveal the gospel to little children. Look at verse 25. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you've hidden these things for the wise and understanding and revealed them to who? To little children. We know the story, some of us, about, you know, let all the children come to me, right? But what we're understanding here is we come to Christ with a heart of childlike faith. It's not coming as little children, but it's coming as someone who's humble. That's, who, who doesn't say, I've got it all figured out, I'm my own savior, but, a little, but one who comes as a little child is one who is not proud of their Jewish background in this context for the Sadducees and Pharisees, or they're not proud of their good works they see their sin, they're like a little child saying, I need you, Father. He chooses, Jesus sovereignly chooses to reveal the gospel to little children. Notice what he said at the end of verse 27. And anyone to whom the son chooses to reveal him, and we look back in verse 25 at the end of that and we see he's revealed to little children. So he's choosing to reveal himself to little children for those who have hearts who are not proud but how does the heart not become proud without God's grace right these things are hidden from us from all of us lest God do a gracious sovereign work through his son so when we get to heaven though we can't understand the mystery all we can say is thank you for saving me I didn't figure it out you revealed it to me and I'm here to praise you for all of eternity. Jesus sovereignly chooses to reveal the gospel to little children. There's a story in Pilgrim's Progress about a, a guy named Ignorance because he was ignorant, right, of the gospel. His understanding of the gospel is that he was, he did, he was not a little child in his understanding of how to go to heaven. He thought by being a good person, keeping the Ten Commandments, being religious, saying the right things, going to church, all that stuff would get him to heaven. He didn't believe his heart. Christian and hopeful had a conversation with ignorant along the way, and they tried to help him understand that he was a sinner. And ignorant said one time to Christian and hopeful, ignorant said in this book, Pilgrim's Progress, I will never believe that my heart is that bad. I'll never believe my heart's that bad. Pride. Then Hopeful nudged Christian and said, ask him if he's ever had Christ revealed to him from heaven. And Christian said to ignorance, for I will boldly affirm, even as my good companion has done, that no man can know Jesus Christ except through revelation of the Father. Yes, and I will also say that even the faith that lays hold of Christ 
assuming it is true faith, must be forged by the exceeding greatness of his mighty power. Now here we tread on holy ground. That these things must be revealed by the gracious and good will of a sovereign and gracious Savior named Jesus. But praise the Lord that he sovereignly chooses to reveal the gospel to little children. But he graciously extends rest to all who labor and are heavy laden. How do I know if I'm a little child? How do I know if I can enter the kingdom of God that I can be saved, that these things have been revealed to me? Are you weary and heavy laden? Notice what he says. Come to me. Here's the invitation. Come to me, verse 28. All who labor and are heavy laden, you see? You must labor and be heavy laden. Understanding that like Christian and Pilgrim's Progress, there is a burden upon you that you cannot bear alone. That's caused by your sin and, the, and trying to be good will never take away that burden. But Jesus graciously extends rest to all who understand this, all who are poor in spirit, as he says in the Sermon on the Mount, all who labor and are heavy laden. And why does he do that? Look at verse 29. You want to know something about God? Jesus is God, by the way, right? Amen, church? You realize we come and we worship Jesus, we're saying, Jesus, you are God. And this is what, this is who our God is. This is what he says. Look at your Bible, Listen. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For God the Son says, I am gentle and lowly in heart. Do you realize that's who our God is? This great judge of the earth who created you is also a God. He is who is gentle and lowly in heart. Don't mean lowly in heart. Don't mean he thinks lowly of himself. But he is a gentle judge. He's one who is ready to receive those who will repent. This is our God. This is the God who came down to the earth and took on flesh and shed his blood for us. He's not the God we work our way to. He comes down to us and works our way to us. What a God. And because of who he is, because of who he is, because he is gentle and lowly in heart. If he was not gentle and lowly in heart, there'd be no invitation. There'd be no come to me all you're weary and heavy laden. It'll be you stop sinning and figure it out yourself. But instead, he's gentle and lowly in heart and he says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. That's because of who God is, despite who you are and who I am, Right? For my yoke is easy. You can come to Jesus and find rest for your soul, folks. Rest for your soul. There's a lot of things we need rest from. But when I'm going through doubt and despair, and I'm still wrestling with situations in my life, what I need to remember, the key that's going to help me through the doubt and despair is to remember that through Jesus, I have rest for my soul. Don't have rest from this, I may not have rest from that, but I got rest from the thing that could trouble me the most, and that is rest from my soul. For my yoke, he says in verse 30, is easy. Yoke is something that, that attached to working animals together. He says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Why will you find rest for your soul in Jesus? Because his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Because to come to Christ 
is to rest in his work. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. Trying to be good enough to get to heaven, keeping the law and all this stuff, that's a heavy burden and it will not save you. It'll lead you to damnation. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I had one thought I'll close with. When Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light, doesn't he also say that we're to carry the cross and follow him? Isn't the cross heavy? How is it that Jesus can say, my yoke is easy and my burden is light? And my best attempt at answering this would be to say, yes, the cross is heavy, but we don't carry the cross to be saved. Jesus carried the cross for us, right? And Jesus paid it all. We carry the cross of suffering as Christians and experience opposition as his children like he did because these things have been revealed to us and we have rest for our soul. So we gladly carry our cross. And we'll know in one day that we will be with Jesus and have rest from our labors as well. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that the truth of your scriptures that we've heard would penetrate our hearts and lead us to repent. Father, I pray that you would reveal these things from heaven through Jesus to little children, to those who are weary and heavy laden. We will praise you for it as Jesus does. You oppose the proud, but you give grace to the humble. Lord, make us humble in heart. Show us that we need Jesus Christ. Grant rest for the soul. Help those experiencing doubt. Perhaps it's accompanied by a lingering despair over situations in their life. Help them to know that Jesus is the promised king. They need to look for no other. Help them to know that justice is coming. Help them to see that the sovereign son of God has given them rest for their soul and help them to rest and rejoice in the gospel that will not change. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to stand together and sing. And as we sing this song, if you'd like to come and pray about anything at all, uh, you'd like, you're welcome to do so. You can pray by yourself. You can come and I'll pray with you. If you're not a believer, not sure if you died, you'd go to heaven. I'd love the opportunity to talk with you either now or even following the service. But please come as God speaks and let's stand and rejoice.